Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Um, but before, I want to just introduce my wife. This is my wife, Pam. And Pam, uh, tomorrow we celebrate our 30th anniversary. So that's pretty impressive. Because she's, she's impressive, yes. So um, uh, first of all, I just uh, uh, need to say a few comments about my relationship with uh, the church here. And uh, uh, probably, I think probably 13 years ago, um, around then, uh, we had some uh, people who were part of our church that moved to Kansas City, and we started meeting on Sunday nights for several years, and then over time it became clear that there was a group of people that had the faith to want to launch uh, a church. And so uh, Dave, Pastor Dave Diefendorf and Becky were in Manhattan serving as associate pastors there with our church in Manhattan, and they came over and uh, began to to lead and to guide the church in its endeavor, and it was been just so. But Dave uh, is one of my very close personal friends. I mean, Dave is a very intimate friend of mine. I love Dave. I treasure him as a human being. Uh, I would do anything for him, and uh, just I just I really uh, I just I value him and I trust him immensely and his integrity. And uh, I think he is an outstanding pastor. And uh, also, I am also very impressed with your associate pastor, Michaela. And she is uh, awesome. I, um, she was one of the first people that actually wasn't part of our church in Lawrence, but uh, through some relationships with people in our church, they, uh, they started coming. Her and Mc, uh, Marcel started coming. And they have just been a wonderful, wonderful uh, couple, family, and uh, I think it was about two and a half years ago with Michaela's giftings and callings and our belief that we want to access all the talents and abilities in the church, uh, not just the half the church, but the whole church, and want everyone to be able to bring all who they are into the work of God, and she's just been such a blessing uh, to, to the church here, to Dave, to us as a, a movement and a network of churches. She's just phenomenal. Um, she's actually is writing most of the devotions that we're sending out to all three churches and have heard just incredible comments about the, the, the inspiration and the questions and everything, Michaela. So I can't just thank you enough and just so glad, number one, that we aren't stupid, and two, <laughs> that you were willing to uh, lay your life down and come be a part of what God's doing, so. Uh, I, yeah, let's give Michaela a big hand. So that's really, and, and that, fit, that fits in with this whole idea of Romans. You know, the tagline for our series on Romans is good news for everyone, and you know what? We mean it, and God means it. It's good news for everyone, and I hope you've been enjoying this, the first uh, uh, two, three weeks. Uh, we're, we're one week behind in uh, Lawrence, 
So I will be speaking there next week on, on this week four, chapters five and six. Dave is there now speaking on, on chapter four that he spoke here, and then he'll, the following week, he'll be in Manhattan, and Jonathan Hupp, the pastor of Bluemont Church in Manhattan, will be here next week. So uh, it's, a, it's a cool thing that we do. We do it like twice a year, and uh, I think it really helps transform our, our lives and our churches as we are all kind of like reading the same portion of the Bible together. It creates this synergy and this faith and common, common, common dialogue in our small groups. It's just a, a wonderful thing to do. So this morning, talking about chapters 5 and 6, I'm going to give kind of an overview, and the title of it is A New and Free Humanity. A New and Free Humanity. Let's just begin by Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Now, that last part, because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us, is, is kind of strikes a real tone with me personally. I was raised uh, in a Catholic, strict Irish Catholic home. Um, uh, I grew up thinking and believing in God, but I, I wasn't experiencing God. I did have a brief encounter when I was like seven years old in the backyard in the country. I just asked God, if you're real, just, you know, just show, and, and I just felt this overwhelming presence of God, and it, it did something in me. I think that really, that really laid something in my heart, even though my life wasn't transformed. I was a knucklehead kid in high school. I went to a Catholic high school, got involved in quite a bit of drug use. I like to play sports. My, uh, recently, a guy asked me, did you play basketball in college? And I said, no, I smoked way too much dope in high school. And, uh, but I thought, uh, I thought, in, in essence, I, I, I believed this narrative that I was looking for something transcendent, you know, some, but actually, what I was really looking for was peace with God. I read something recently about an old comedian who, uh, who was, uh, because of his quick wit and his uh, endless amount of jokes, had, uh, was able to uh, secure large crowds of people for several decades. But upon his passing, his obituary told a completely darker story. When he was younger, he had a falling out with his dad, and that falling out never was repaired. And then over time, that cycle was repeated with his own son. And, uh, you know, one of his own sons, had, had, he had cut off, and they, they never had restored that. And, you know, it's, it's this, this, this story, this brokenness. And, you know, we can, we can imagine knowing that there's someone there, uh, only a phone call away, who's one of our closest blood relations, and yet they won't speak to you. And you don't want to speak to him or, or to see him or have anything to do with him. And that goes on for years. You can just imagine that for a moment. There's something really disturbing about that whole picture. And yet, I know that not only the man in question, that comedian, but a great many people live exactly like that in relation to someone close to them with whom they've had a fallen out. And, you know, that, that, that is a great tragedy. I was just told last night when Pam and I were downtown of, of a movie out now, Ad Astra, and has a father-son relationship. And 
you know, it's just, uh, I won't give any spoilers away, but it's, it, was, it was, they were, they were kind of like, man, why would, you, why would you make a movie like that? Uh, but it was, it's kind of a, a, a somewhat like this. And, and, you know, this is a great tragedy. A vast number of human beings live like that. And uh, even though that is a great tragedy, the greatest tragedy is that a lot of people live like that in relationship to God. So here in Romans, Paul is writing, and he's really unpacking this incredible narrative, the reconciliation to end all reconciliations, the gospel, this gospel story. And we, we, can, we can see this in this first verse, and it says, you know, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have. What do we have? A warm glow in the heart, a sigh of relief that our sins have been forgiven, a new understanding of what it means to belong to God's people. Yes, all of those, but much more. But at the center of it all, we have this, peace with God. It's a phenomenal understanding, a phenomenal aspect. Peace with God through what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's what's so amazing about this gospel. The gospel is so powerful and it's for everyone. And it's for everyone because it is so powerful. Because it's what Jesus Christ has done for everyone, makes available, that they can be restored back into a relationship with the one who created them and have this peace with God. And I think that word peace oftentimes is too narrow in our thinking. It just, it, 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 there's an amazing thing. So uh, this idea of peace. And so when we think about Paul here writing the Romans, you know, we have to think that Paul in chapters 1 through 4, he's laying this foundation of the gospel. But now Paul is kind of transitioning. And he, he's beginning to build the structure, a structure in the minds of the Romans believers, a picture of the Christian life in which all the ancient promises of God are now coming true. Amazing, at the center of, this, of these promises of God is the establishment of this loving, personal relationship between humans and the Creator Himself. This, at the center of all these promises is this relationship. And though, you know, although we might be mentally be able to assent that the idea that we understand that God wants to have a relationship with us, and we might be able to grasp that in that intention. It doesn't seem very easy for us, or natural for us, to have that relationship with Him. It seems kind of difficult, because honestly, humans don't do relationships very well. You know, I could say, hey, 30 years of marriage, you know, you know man, let me tell you, I didn't work harder at anything in my life. Because it doesn't come easy. You know, the, the, the reasons for uh, this difficulty of relationship may, may seem obvious and, and can, can seem obvious once we grappled with what we read about in Romans chapter 1 in 18 through 30. You know about what the nature, what do we do? We, we, we are, we're, our, our, our human propensity to push God away and his truth away. Not, but we have to understand that it's not only our behavior but our thinking and feeling have been so warped 
by our rebellion and our idolatry that we can theme it may be almost impossible to establish a relationship with God. And somehow, if, if we succeed, and it might be difficult to maintain because of this, that's how we, we, we engage and relate because our brains and our minds and our feeling have been so warped in our lives that the, 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 the beauty and, the, and the what could, should be the ease of having a relationship with God seems too far away. Goes on in verse 2, but it says this because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. I mean, let me just, I just want us to ponder that because there's this such important understanding here to be unpacked. Because of our faith, Christ. Christ has brought us, Jesus has brought us, the Messiah has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. Part of uh, the, the micro story of my testimony of how I became a Christian at age 19 at the University of Kansas is I had gone to an event during the day, one day, my freshman year in November, and I was invited back to a Christian meeting. And the rest of the day, I was constantly like, had these going back and forth, like, you know, that's something I should go to. No, I'm not going to that. That's something I should go to. No, there's no way I'm going to that. You know, let's go to this. No, there's no, no way I'm going to that. So I actually had left my house and uh, walked to a store. And I was in the store. And I, in the store, I was thinking about the me. No, I'm not going to go. I'm just not going to go. I'm going to go home now. And as I was walking to uh, home, I came to an intersection. And at that intersection, there was the, uh, the bus that, that run in Lawrence and run from the community up to the campus, was coming to that corner, and the light was green, and thinking that bus was going to go through, all of a sudden, yellow-red, real quick, real quick, the bus stopped. And all of a sudden, I go, I'll go to the meeting. Got on went in front of the bus, came up the stairs into the bus, and as I was coming up the stairs, not realizing at the time, but something amazing, the bus driver looked at me and goes, in a real snarly way, said, you're, you're lucky I'm a substitute bus driver because this is not a bus stop. <laughs> went to the meeting. <laughs> Amazingly, you know, was there. Altar call. Old school altar car, 82. Hey, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to stand up. And I said, man, I've tried to be good. I can't do it. I can't be good. Can't do it. And I heard God's voice said, John, you're right. You can't. But if you trust me and what I did, I will do it. And I said, in a minute, everything I knew about what Jesus had done on the cross, all the factoids that I had in my mind, all of a sudden became real that he did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And I stood up, I said, I'm a sinner, and I want to follow Jesus. And my life changed dramatically. But was it me? No. Jesus brought me. By the nap of the neck, like, 
Get on that bus. Go to that meeting. Okay. Listen, just sit down. Listen for a little bit. <laughs> and I want us to realize that that's the confidence that Paul is writing here. Not just for their own personal well-being, but because the hope of humanity rests on that little church in Rome. That they would be faithful to the mission that God gave them. There, under the mighty power of the Roman Empire, was the seedbed of a loving revolution that would change the way people viewed God, viewed one another, and viewed the world in which they lived. He was trying to instill something in them. Confidence. A confidence. We've been invited to breathe in. To breathe in like native air, this being surrounded by this state that Jesus has brought us in. This understanding of his, of his great love, his generosity, his, his, his goodness to stand in that confidence and to breathe it in and to sense this is the way life is to be lived. This is, and we need to have a sense like it's like coming home. And as we continue to inhale his wisdom and his power and joy, as we, we sang, I just love y'all's worship here. Y'all's worship here. I don't know. I love your worship here. <laughs> I, I just, I appreciate it so much. How uh, just, oh, just integrity and wholesome it is. Um, but I'm distracted. So... But as we continue, we, 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 we realize that we are being invited to go all in. That's what I feel. We're being invited to come. We're being, and being invited. So we're going to answer the call. But do you feel like that sometimes? I hope that sometimes you feel like you're being invited in to go all in on, on this calling of being image bearers. Because it goes on in that verse that we were reading. I hope it's still up. Yeah. Joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Now this is interesting. This, this God's glory, sharing God's glory. I thought God said, I will share my glory with no other. But not if you're not... A, but if you're an image bearer, you're, he wants you to share his glory. What are you supposed to bear? His image, his glory. We're called to be image. And as we breathe in the goodness of God and the confidence of where he's placed us, where we stand, feel an invitation to come and be a part of this image bearing. And we look forward. He says, we look forward with joy to join with God in his purposes. And that image bearing is for us to to rule and reign in the earth according to his ways and his goodness and love. I love this quote by N.T. Wright, and I just want to read it to you. It says, When we are reconciled to the God who is our Father, we discover that he wants not simply to enjoy one-to-one -one relationship, but to enlist us in his service and working for his kingdom. It's just the nature of God from the very beginning wanting to enlist us in his service. And that, and that will bring all kinds of pressures 
and problems, which will require us to hang on in faith. Again, so why is Paul writing this to them? To get them, and who gets, let, let's just let N.T. Wright talk. Okay, hang on in faith and hope, and hope even when we don't sense his presence. Even when it doesn't feel as though there's anything happening. We mustn't imagine that our feeling of being close to God is a true index of the reality. Emotions often deceive. Paul is summoning us to understand the reality, the solid rock beneath the shifting sands of feelings. Wow, it's it's impressive when we think about that because that's what lay ahead for the Romans. Man, I don't know how you would feel the presence of God when you're being thrown to the lions. But somehow they did. Somehow they had a reality beyond their feelings. Uh, A couple months ago, I was diagnosed with um, a kidney ailment. It's an autoimmune deficiency, autoimmune disorder, that my, my body is attacking my kidneys. And one of the it's called Burger's disease, not like hamburger. It's with the E, because people would probably say, yeah, I could, you, that fits you. So, <laughs> but it's not that. But the medication that I'm on, they say, man, this, is, this medication works. Man, it's, it's, it's prednisone. And they said, this medication really works. Man, there's some really gnarly side effects. And some of them is, is you can get really irritable. Your emotions can get the best of you. You, you can almost, almost kind of have some, don't make any major life purchases or decisions while you're on this. And it's a high dose. And so, you know, it's been interesting. Um, just to give you an example, um, I got m- upset with our grandkids at the fire pit because they were cheating because they were burning their marshmallows when we were making s'mores. <laughs> I go, hey, hey, you guys are cheating. Stop. No, you're going to do it right or we're not going to have it. And I was like, oh, God, wait, prednisone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been an interesting phenomenon and more interesting for my wife of almost 30 years. It's like level of intensity around 5 o'clock at night, the witching hour. It's pretty bad. <laughs> but it is a really good training, because I go, God, man, just think how powerful I'm going to be when I get off this stuff. So, but we can't trust our feelings, and I think that that's the idea here, is how, wow, how powerful it would be that we would, we would be able to be confident about something that we, we maybe don't feel or sense, but we just have this underlying foundation that we have been brought to a place in which we stand, an underserved privilege. And that's what Paul's trying to do here. He goes on in verse 3, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know, and he begins to think, you know, for we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials and mishaps and mistakes and blunders, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. 
For we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. Again, Paul is trying to establish this structure. This structure, first, welcome into a relationship, invited into this mission of being an image bearer, and then sent out into a broken world with its problems and trials to bring about God's good purposes. It's just amazing. Here's so, such a, a powerful, just a few verses. But so, so kind of as you think about that in, in chapter 5, that's kind of the, the ebb and flow and this reinforcing, the structure of what the Christian life looks like. But then in kind of in, in chapter 6, as we move to chapter 6 here, Paul begins to, I would just say, he begins to kind of help to want to help us to understand the problem of sin. But, but before we start launching into, uh, no, yeah, okay, no, 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 just stop. Because he's going to look at sin in a little different way, I think, than possibly, because he's going to view sin, the results of sin, and he calls it death. But if you think about, it's the same thing Jesus, uh, God told Adam and Eve. In the day that you eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will what? die. Did they actually physically die? No. What did die? They, the death was the death to being an unfractured image bearer. They, they, they stayed being image bearers. All people are image bearers, but they became fractured. Sin fractures our ability to be image bearers. And so he starts in verse 1 of Romans 6. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? It's, it's like, a, I read a commentary that said this is like a judo move. In judo, uh, one of the things in judo is if someone was to punch you, um, one thing in judo is you move and you take the weight of their punch and use it against them. So he's using this thing that, that maybe somebody might ask and now he's going to kind of somewhat pivot and use it against the, that, that mindset or that argument. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Now, Paul, Paul uses the, this concept of baptism to help paint the picture okay, of, of, the, of a new status, right? Of a new, of a, of a, really, if you think about it, of a change of allegiance. Water baptism is really a, a change of allegiance. Back old school days, when they, before they baptized people, they would say to them publicly, do you renounce Satan and all his works? Because water baptism represented a change of allegiance. You were aligned with this power, these gods. You are now aligning yourself with the one true God, Jehovah. So he's talking from allegiance from what to what? But just, and particularly, what was interesting about using baptism is that Jewish Christians, 
would have easily thought back that baptism represented, and they would have thought back to the Exodus story. God's deliverance of Israel from slavery, or you could even call slavery forced allegiance. The crossing of the Red Sea. But it's important for us to understand here in this concept of sin that I want to just touch on is that the, 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 the Hebrew history of the Exodus was not just God and Moses' victory over Egypt's Pharaoh. It was also God's victory over Egypt's gods. Now, this, is, this, is, this might be a little odd, and, and if it's real odd, you could say, Phew, at least he won't be here next week. <laughs> but I want you to think about this, because there is a lot to be to understand. So, for example, you know, after they cross the Red Sea, they, they, they sing a song of deliverance. And one of the lines is from that song of deliverance, Pharaoh's chariots and army has, he has hurled into the sea. The finest of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. So God's defeat over Pharaoh. But... In, in seven verses ahead of that, it says, verse 11, out of Exodus 15, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders? The Hebrews understood that the ten plagues corresponded to the ten gods, small g, of Egypt who he, God, defeated one by one. And we don't have time to go into the, 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 the different plagues and why they were a direct defeat over the small g gods. You could, you could I'll get to that in a little bit. But, but, but what I want us to think about in Romans, this is an important way to read Romans, and in particular, how we understand sin. And when we think about, let's just, read, let's just read a few verses here. Romans 6 says, Since we have been united with him, I want you just to think about how he's talking. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin, and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So, so... I want us to think about this. It's a real hindrance to our Christian life when we don't view the things that, uh, when we don't view the things with the, the, the same amount of breadth of understanding that Paul and the other writers of the Bible did. 
And that this is, this is this idea that sin isn't just acts of disobedience. It's not like sin is just a kind of a category of behavior that's wrongful behavior, and we categorize that, all that behavior as sin. And, two, if you think about it, idols of the Hebrew mind aren't just, you know, these things of stone, or they are today just bad deeds or values we surrender our heart to. These are powers of forces of evil. They, the Hebrew mind thought of idols that they were animated by powers. Yes, they're gods, small g. But they, the idols are animated. That's why in Corinthians, Paul talks about one moment he said, hey, they're just wood, stone. But then another, he says, hey, but you're worshiping demons. So there's this, this, this contrast here. So sin isn't just these acts of obedience. There, there it's, it's, and if you think about, this, this, is, this is related. So when Jesus came and he was water baptized, he was compelled into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. He was tempted by the enemy, which was almost a retelling of the Genesis 2 temptation of of Eve and Adam. Although he, Jesus, did not surrender his allegiance to the devil in the wilderness, he resisted the temptation, he overcame the temptation, and he accomplished and passed the test. He comes back from the wilderness, and you read about it, and what's the first thing he starts doing? He starts going and preaching the gospel, and he starts casting out devils. It's amazing. That had never been done before. But this, this engagement. So when we think about that, how, uh, how this, this idea. So when we read Romans 6 freshly, when you read Romans 6 this week freshly, sin, you can see, sin seems to be somewhat personified. Like an intelligent entity moving toward a strategic end. Your death. Death what? Sin as an enemy, power, or force opposing us from being the image bearers we have been called to be. God wants to make us image bearers. And the forces and sin as an intelligent force comes to try to defeat us. That's why in Ephesians 6, 12, Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, For we're not fighting against flesh and blood, enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So if we can think about sin, not just like, okay, sin, am I going to do this sin or not? Like we think that, that we are operating in this, in this almost autonomous mode and making a choice without any strategic, intelligent influence trying to get us to defeat ourselves by giving into its power. And so, but if we think about what, how the Bible describes it, it describes sin as this force coming to defeat you. Now, to me, as an Enneagram 8, that makes me angry. 
right? Like, hey, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. If it's just a matter of a slip up, you know, or, you know, a choice that I'm going to make, you know, bad choice. But if I think, no, someone's trying to beat me, to defeat me, to destroy me, I'm going to think about it a little differently. And that's how I've lived my Christian life. Lust, as a young, healthy college student, was not seen as just these bad things that you do. It was a force of hell coming to keep me from the calling of God on my life. It was an enemy, an intelligent spirit that would come try to seduce me into something. And I needed to learn how to defeat it. So a great illustration of this is in, is in Genesis chapter 4. Okay, so Adam and Eve, you know, eat from the fruit. They, they start having kids. They have Cain and Abel. Cain is a tiller of the land. Abel is a keeper of the flocks. They bring their sacrifices from their produce. God favors Abel's sacrifice. Not going into why right now, but he favors Abel's sacrifice. Cain gets mad. And God approaches Cain. Let's look at this picture. It says in Genesis 4, verse 6, Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain, Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. That word crouching is like a tiger or a lion ready to pounce on its prey. It's a description of sin like a beast coming at you. Eager to control you. Eager to control me. I'll never let anybody control me. I am independent. Oh, really? Hmm. But you must subdue it and be its master. Now, why does this matter? Because Paul knows that sin... With this idea of grace, sin needs to be separated and to be understood as a force coming to destroy what he just talked all about in chapter 5. So that you are aware or conscious that, this, that you want to be an image bearer. So we have to think about when it says you must subdue it and be its master. You know, we have to understand here that there didn't seem to be a place of neutrality there in that dialogue with God and Cain. Didn't say, yeah, you know, it was going to be, you're either going to master it or it's going to master you. And I think just to kind of remind us that we've been we talked in the last weeks. I know Dave talked. We've talked over in Lawrence and about the myth of autonomy. See, when we quit being God's image bearers, we don't just become mere humans, right? Just, just I'm just a human, neutral human. Just I'm a I'm a good human. No, you become a beast. Because what did Cain do? That thing mastered him. And what did he do? He devoured his brother, 
right? Killed his brother, killed Abel. See, sin doesn't make us just inept. It, make us, it makes us monsters. It makes us beasts. We exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God, right? We exchanged the, the privilege of bearing God's image for the image of humans and animals. And there's, humans are not, don't have their own image to bear. We, we don't have the power of autonomy. We're not creating... That, that makes man vulnerable, but it makes him glorious. That's, that's why probably some of the angels, the, the Elohim, were, were, some of them were somewhat envious because they saw this enormous potential in humans that man, their glory, God, God knew what he was doing when he made humans. He was pretty excited about humans. God has a high regard of humanity. And when we're fully human, it's when we're fully bearing the image of God. When our enormous potential, when we're taking part in that privilege of being united with him, in, in, in uh, displaying and imaging and ruling and reigning according to his goodness and his love. It goes on in verse 22, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. Think about, wait, who's paying the wages? The enemy. Wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. And I hope we know that that doesn't mean, just mean, get to go to heaven when we die. But that means we get to live the life that God intended for us now. We get to live fully human. Hey, what am I? I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to be fully human. And what is that? Being an image bearer. Being under the allegiance and under the authority of the one who created me. Becoming conformed into his likeness through the trials, through the character development, through the perseverance, through not quitting, through not just staying in it, learning, loving, letting God keep teaching me staying hungry, staying thirsty, wanting more of what God has, breathing in, breathing out His goodness, His wisdom, His joy, and understanding the nature of reality in a way that the Bible reveals and not according to some kind of tradition that I carried with me because, you know, that's what I was told. But maybe, you know, God is still in this day unfolding mysteries of the kingdom to us to, to, to all the body of Christ in a way I've never seen before, of this understanding of his goodness, of his kingdom, of being image bearers, of being part of something glorious, learning about the dangers, the pitfalls, the, 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 the forces of darkness that try to lure us into ways outside of God's ways. But ultimately, to partake of this eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I think this is kind of how Paul is thinking. If you step back for a moment, what's the application for us? There's a lot of application, but what's the application is to think about that church in Rome. Paul hadn't been there yet, wants to go, 
knows some of the, knows some of the issues going on, knows there's this conflict between the Gentile and Jewish believers, trying to, to create you know, a, 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 a deposit of heaven on the earth that could be a force of the kingdom of God in the rest of the earth. And he's writing, he's not just trying to solve a problem, but he's unpacking the gospel because within the gospel is the solution for everything that ails mankind. And if he can get the understanding of the gospel in the hearts of these people, he believes that that will be a a beachhead for the advancement of the kingdom, and ultimately it does as their faithfulness to carry out and be the people of God. Man, we live in an hour... Where I, the world needs the kingdom of God like never before. The kingdom, the world needs image bearers who are growing in their ability to image God, to be problem solvers, to be able to rule and to reign, to nurture, to care for, to take initiative in, in a loving, serving manner, to be able to see people who are who are created in the image of God and realizing that they are not our enemy. It is the forces of darkness they be me animating their life, their behavior, their choices. And they, like the Israelites, need God to come and rescue them just like Jesus came and he rescued all of us and is rescuing us. I've been rescued, I'm being rescued, and I will be rescued. Amen. Let's all stand up. Lord, often we sometimes, I know I do, Lord, I translate things into my own context. And Lord, I... I, Lord, tendency to maybe take responsibility to do something that only you can do. And Lord, I pray in this moment, Lord, that our faith would be in you for what only you can do and what you do in us. But my heart also would be an allegiance to be responsible for my response to what you ask of me. And this beautiful relationship we have with you, this process of being co-laborers in our own development, but also in the development of the world in which we live. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would give us eyes to see, you would, you would, you would give us a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, and you would help us to understand that who our real enemy is. Lord, that we wouldn't settle for pietism, just issues of the heart, but Lord, that we would understand there's a greater picture than our own personal dignity, but Lord, there's our usefulness and our purposefulness. I ask God that you would help to lead us and to call us into this, that we were be all in with you and allegiance to you as our king. Thank you, King Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.